I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supper with us tonight, what do you say? Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Achanov, and it's nice not to be alone. And my name is Colin Drucker, and oh, I'm not drinking that concoction of Rogers. Was that his name, Roger? <laughs> I don't even know. I realized as I was George, about to say that, that was George of Georges. Yes. I feel like it's an anagram for George yeah. Roger or something. Yeah. It was like, as I was saying the line, as I was stepping out on stage, I was like, I don't know my lines. <laughs> oh, that's like a recurring nightmare that I have frequently. Yeah. I'm like, a, I'm an understudy and I have to go on and I don't know what's happening. Yeah. And IMDB wouldn't load fast enough, you know, <laughs> like just the existential nightmare of it all. But uh, whatever. Um, that may have not been perfect. But you know what is the power of the dog? Yes. Which is, uh, you know, obviously, or maybe not obviously, uh, but is uh, the topic of this week's episode and is something of uh, a, a horse in the Oscar race, at least when it comes to Best yeah. Supporting Actress. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this. And I got to tell you, this is probably a movie I would have never watched if someone didn't tell me to watch it. Uh, same. I think it was on my list, and like I, I think I would have only watched it for Kirsten uh, because you know that's our lens, obviously too. But once I heard that it was a little gay, you know, my ears perked up. And mm. I think you told me that, and I feel like I read some other articles too. Um, so, and it's a western. It's like I'm not gonna run towards any western. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna click on the thumbnail of Benedict Cumberbatch in a cowboy hat. Like I'm just not like. There's we've talked about this on Netflix. They're terrible thumbnails, and oh, there's yes. a movie called Dirt with like Carrie Mulligan that I will not click on because that thumbnail is so bad. <laughs> and this would have been the same. And then yeah, my friends and I watched it a few weeks ago, and I thought, well, you know, I'll and it was all we were doing one of those like Zoom movie nights, and I thought, well, you know, uh, I'll turn off my camera if I'm not interested. I'll just walk away, you know. And yeah. it was like. And at first, you know, in the first half, and maybe the first half hour, there was a part of me that was like... Slow uh, burn. Yeah, yeah, slow burn, period piece, middle of nowhere, lots of men. Not sure about this one. And, oh boy, this movie is... It's so gay. Oh. It is. It starts to sizzle. Like, I... And I'm not, I don't know what the timestamp is, too, but, like... There's, I, I have so many questions for you, too. Like, what was your... You've only seen it once, right? It's just that one time? Or did you go back and, like, skim through I watched scenes? it again. I watched the full thing okay. last, last night or this morning. Time's a weird I'm, thing, but I watched it. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, we're in that weird period. But yeah. I'm very interested. I don't know when this will happen, but I probably will watch it again. 
um, mm. especially after listening to Gaylords of Darkness, which we'll talk about as well. Um, I, w- how was it the first time versus the second time, knowing what you know now and had time to sort of marinate? Well, yeah, and so the the Gaylords of Darkness note, I think, is an important one. Uh, yes. And so for anyone who is not a BS Atreon and has not uh, joined our Patreon where our Best Supporting After Show lives now, Yes. My assignment to my best supporting assignment to Nick last week was to listen to the most Sex and Salad. Sex <laughs> and Salad, the most recent episode of Gaylords of Darkness, in which they went a little off, you know, their usual beat to talk about power of the dog. And then we were like, well, why don't we just do that as our episode? But I gotta say, like, I saw the movie before I listened to their episode, obviously. Then I listened to their episode, and then it mm-hmm. like completely informed watching the movie again. And yes. Whereas the first time I watched it, I was there for Kirsten Dunst, um, or Kristen Dunst, as I, you know, I don't know if Keon would call her Kristen Dunst. That's like what my mom would say. Yeah, 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 Kristen Dunst. But yeah, I was obviously like showing up for her originally, but watching it again with like all of the queer eye that Gaylords of Darkness was talking about, yes. it made all of that early slow burn cowboy stuff so much more interesting and made Phil so much more interesting and like... I had kind of already like picked up on a lot of the gay stuff, but a lot of what they talked about, the sort of like, you know, all the, the sort of sad, you know, dying as and being remembered as friends and all of that, like did not yeah. occur to me at all the first time. And the Bronco Henry relationship did not, I didn't fully appreciate it until the second watch. And then it was like, oh my God, broke back who? This yes. is the gay cowboy movie. Yes, for I mean, I I'm so glad that you assigned me that podcast episode because I will like full disclosure admit that a lot of this went right over my head. Mm. And I but I knew I knew what was happening, but I didn't know what was happening if that, that which doesn't make any sense. Like I I was like, "Oh, there's like a lot more going on under this iceberg. I just like don't know what it is, but I can't wait to find out." And I think if I had not been assigned that episode, I would have watched, you know, you know, the power of the dog explained on YouTube by right. some guy in his basement, you know, because like, right. I was interested. I, I knew there was something that I was missing. And it turns out there were a lot of things that I was missing or just it's so subtle. And the subtlety is like what could easily I'm trying to think of like, is this because it's in theaters and on Netflix. It's like one of those, you know, we were talking about it with West Side Story last week, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this movie doing well? It's like one of those things where like, if you know about it, then like. Yes, it, it this is like it reminds me of Moonlight in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that they live on like the same street. It's like it's, you know, Brokeback Mountain with the volume turned up. I'll throw an Ina Garden reference in there. Please. Um and and just I don't know, so carefully written and directed and acted and like shot. It is it is gorgeous. And it's like there's there's an a, a little sprinkling of the bad seed in there, you know? There's yes. there's the, the queer yes. bad seed and and I love that too of like yeah, here is this, you know, this kid Peter and I loved. I'm like, okay, yes. In in this, you know, 1920s um, you know, the the uh plains of oh gosh, and I'm forgetting the location which Montana? Montana, that's what I thought it yeah. was. Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. Like <laughs> Touching the boobs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's such a deep cut. If you know, you know. Uh, but yeah. you know, you know, yeah. You know, I loved seeing like this is 
you know, in 1925, you know, on a ranch in Montana, this is what a little twink would look like. And this is how he would be regarded and how he would appear. And, you know, it's, but what I love is that he's not, uh, he's not this innocent twink. There's also a bad seed Rhoda Penmark quality where it's like, I think Mm -hmm. this kid's kind of fucked up. And yet I am cheering for him. And yes, I, you know, my, my friends who I saw it with, one of them is is uh, also he's gay, and then you know my other friend's a straight woman, and she didn't love the movie. She's like, yeah, I liked it, I didn't love it. And my friend and I were like, oh, I think it's the gay revenge thing that really put it over the edge because I was like, that's what like the first time I watched this, that's yes. where I was like, yes, bitch, you better work. And I think that like <laughs> it just hit this nerve for me. I was like. Yeah, fuck him up, you know? But what didn't resonate the first time was how sad Phil was and that, like, he was also a tragic character. He wasn't just this evil alpha bully, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, what this movie says about, like, masculinity and just, like, um, uh, companionship and is, I think, the, the I, I almost said the problem. It's not a problem. I think a lot of people when they watch this movie, because this is how I kind of walked away. And by walk away, I mean I shut my laptop and, like, you know, rolled got over. some wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and rolled over. Um, is that, like, you want to know, you want to understand everything. You want to know, you want to be, in a way, kind of spoon-fed, but also figure a little bit of stuff out, where there's a lot of homework to do almost with this. But once you really start researching, and that sounds like it's an assignment or something, but, like, it's such a fun assignment like it's you can go back probably a third time for you and find Mm -hmm. something else and those are the types of movies that we love yeah it i mean it's kind of like watching mass where i feel like i i pick up new things each time and like with this i mean it there's there's new elements of the performances that i picked up the second time there's new elements of the story i mean even the music i love how as the as the movie progresses into like act four, for example, or act five, the piano music gets kind of like off like it's almost like an out of tune oh, piano. Yeah. Like it gets really yes, clangy yes. and off kilter. And like that was really powerful. And like even watching it the second time around, what really resonated was like that fucking house. That big uh. like what looks to be this kind of like you know decrepit mansion in the middle of nowhere and then inside is just like this opulent home it's it's so haunting i mean there isn't a way in which this movie and i i love on killers of darkness they kind of sort of justifying like in a way it is a horror movie too you know i mean the setting certainly is you know I absolutely I, I'm totally team Anthony on on that. I know that Stacy couldn't really justify it. <laughs> right, uh, right. And feel good about it on Gaylords of Darkness. But I um I was I think I was listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour too and there they had someone on where she did not really love the movie and she specifically didn't really love Benedict Cumberbatch and she's she actually said, I'm not afraid of him, but I totally was. I was like, This man is dangerous. He's going to do something. I'm terrified. I was Julianne Moore in the hours. <laughs> <You> I, <laughs> I I was, I totally bought it. And I'm not, I was going to ask you this too. How do you feel about Benedict Cumberbatch? Like, have you, what's your, you know, what's your history with him? I was thinking about this while I was watching it. And I believe that I have actively avoided watching anything with him in it. And purely probably because it's like, he, 
don't tell me who to like, you know? And sure. so it was like, yes. oh, he's popular? I'm not interested. I think the only thing I've seen him in is August Osage County, and I forgot he was Ooh. in it until I noticed on IMDb that he was uh, Little Charles. And so otherwise, this is really my only experience with him, I think. And I... I thought it was a great performance. I was definitely afraid of him. I definitely recognized, especially the second time around, I, I knew who this man was in that, like, the way the other men would would talk to him with this kind of hero worship tone, and there were all yeah. the, like, Bronco Henry stories and all, just, like, the the way he commanded things and the way he, he felt like... It felt like he was like the lead bully of the Karate Kid or like some 80s high school movie, you know? Yes, that he was untouchable, but he had to like build that. I want to go back to that because I'm fascinated by like the group dynamic. Mm. But um, I want I would say I've, I've seen him in Sherlock. I've seen like each one of those episodes are like an hour and 15 minutes. I'm not going to shit on Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, but no uh, shit. But he's Sherlock. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's perfect for that role. I'm not like. I, I can't remember if they talked about in Gaylords of Darkness or not, but I'm not attracted to him. Mm, um, I, right. I don't really get that as much. I, I see it. Like, it's fine. Like, I think he's like a good looking guy, but he's not, you know, I don't know. Yeah. He's not Jason Momoa, you know? Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Like, I'm not, I'm not clambering to get into his yes, cumberbatch. But yeah. I, you know, that's sort of like quiet British uh, persona can be sexy in its own way. But I would suggest watching the imitation game. If you're going to watch anything, he's, great in it and it's actually it's like same story different setting he played uh -huh. is it alan turing or yeah alan turning alan, alan turing uh, yeah. yeah yeah and uh kira knightley is great in that too a bsa for that role uh, for that movie as well too i think you would really like it okay um, I'm... so i think if you are down the road gonna watch something definitely watch that all right i'm looking at it now and i, I you he know he was nominated that year go ahead oh sorry. i remember that yeah i remember him being nominated for that because you know what it is i would this is it's so weird but i would confuse the imitation game with the one that Eddie Redmayne was in where he played the trans woman. Oh, yeah, The Theory of Everything. The Theory oh. of Everything. I don't know why. Oh. I think of them as the, like, Christine Baranski and Wendy Malick of prestige movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. So there's The Theory of Everything, which he... Well, actually, that was the same year that... Um, Benedict Cumberbatch was nominated for The Imitation Game. Okay, maybe that's And that's why. where he played um, the scientist. Why am I blanking on his name? Oh, the guy who was in the wheelchair. Alan, uh, not Alan. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Everyone's screaming. At just everyone's Alan today. Alan, his name was Alan. I'm not drinking Alan's concoction. <laughs> what is his name? Oh, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Stephen Hawking. Oh, well, thank you. Th so that was. And the other one is the Danish girl that you're talking That's about. It was it the is. year after that, I think, that he was nominated, and he didn't win that year. And those yes. are both Eddie Redmayne. Uh, yes, both. Yes. Yeah. So maybe Eddie Redmayne and Benedict Cumberbatch are like a Wendy Mallet, Christine Bransky for me. You know, <laughs> yeah. If you I can't get it. one, get the other. Englishmen. Yeah. Yes. Have um, you seen the theory of everything? No, I have not. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm going to throw that on your list, too, because I, I think it's one of the best, like, lead actor performances it's definitely in my top five it might even be in my top three okay it's, and i can't believe i've never talked about it but like it's you know it's the theory of everything it's not going to be on our radar but i'm i'm glad to bring it up i think he is like remarkable in that movie and i as soon as i saw it i was like he will win the oscar and he and he did and he yes did. he did oh yeah. well, good for him um yeah yes. i'll have to i'll have to give that a go that's what you know it's one of those yeah. movies that like it's like the English patient. Patient. I've never seen the yes. English patient. Oh god! Like, yeah, neither have I. Yeah, but everyone's like, "Oh my god, the English patient." So one of these days, it's uh, 
I think I need to have a weekend where I just like catch up on like I I pick five prestige pictures that I've I've avoided sure, over the past yes. you know however many decades, and then I just get them under my belt, you know. Yeah, um, but I think like the power of the dog and imitation game and the theory of everything could live on the same street, maybe like four or five houses apart. Yeah. But I think that they're they're there. Yeah, the power of the dog probably has a bigger lawn, you know, or they're on the edge. Yeah, They've got, yeah, the, exactly. you know, the, the woods House are behind on the hill. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah. But it, anyway. Anyway. Benedict. Um, Benedict. But yeah, I mean, he is really, I fully expect him to be nominated for an Oscar. Yes, I think absolutely. He's, yes. He really is phenomenal in this. I don't keep track enough of, like, leading actor of, like, where he stands, but I I feel like this is, you know, the male version of Oscar bait, you know? Yes. He'll get in there. He'll yeah. get in there. Um, you know, I think it, it's worth now saying, uh, oh, and by the way, I, 16 minutes in, if you don't know what the power of the dog is about, I, I kind of feel like I got to take a cue from the Gillers of Darkness that if you haven't seen it, I think this, these are, you know, this episode of their episode really benefits from seeing it before hearing us talk about it. But if you don't want to, that's fine, too. But we're going to spoil it. Uh, but really to kind of, I guess, try to explain it is that there are these two brothers, Phil and George or Roger or whatever his name may be, <laughs> Alan. Uh, but they own this ranch in Montana in the 1920s. And uh, Kirsten Dunst plays Rose. And I, believe, I guess she works there. She is at least seen as the the cook. And we know that, you know, uh, at one point she used to play the piano in, in cinemas. And so... Uh, she yes. and her very face son Peter live there. Eventually, Rose and George take a liking to each other and fall in love. And Phil, uh, who's an, it's interesting because as much as he's this like, you know, rough, you know, bathes in the mud, you know, real outside dog kind of cowboy, he's also Yale educated. Um, yes. So there's that weird dynamic of like he was once kind of what Peter is in more ways than one and mm -hmm. you know is kind of like now doing everything he can to emulate his since you know deceased hero bravo uh bravo henry no bronco henry excuse me bronco henry yeah um who was maybe not quite the image of heterosexual masculinity that he is trying to portray um yes. And so then it's just kind of like from there, I think the movie gets hard to describe. And so that's where I'm like, well, I'm not going to try to summarize it from there. But uh, I will say that from there, we get to see, I would say, and I have not seen every movie she's been in, but probably my favorite Kirsten Dunst performance I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It's all leading up to this performance. Yeah. I, I think that there... There were like a couple things on my initial watch, and I jumped in on your thoughts. No, 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 Sorry. this is perfect. This is where I wanted to go, okay. was Kirsten. Yeah. Okay. I, of course, I had my eye on her, but I found myself, even with my first watch, being far more interested in Phil and Peter for obvious reasons. I was just like trying to figure each of them out, and then it happened, and I was like, oh, this is where this story is going. Holy shit. And Kirsten Dunn's for me, it's not that she faded into the background, but like, I just didn't. Like her trajectory, I think I need a little bit more guidance on because I, I mean, I feel like, you know, she was sort of plucked from my interpretation of, of like what she did before she married Jesse Plemons, who plays George. Like she was like sort of like she worked at like, you know, the local diner in town, but whatever equivalent that was on this ranch. But like, I guess it was at the ranch because it doesn't matter. And then she... I just feel like so reluctantly marries George. I'm very interested in what you have to say about it. I, I, 
and then just sort of self-destructs because she's thrown into this sort of high society role and she's not really ready for it, even though it's what she dreamed of. And then she sort yeah. of has like this alcohol problem. And, um, but I will say like those, the glove scene is the scene. Oh, <laughs> like, the- I loved that. Like I'm being very cryptic, but I, I think, you know, we could talk about it, but what are, those are just my be- like opening questions about, it's not that I didn't like it. I just want to, I want to hear what you think too. I found that I got more out of it the second time I watched it. But like what the moment that like resonated for me or when I was like, oh, my God, was um, when they have the the I get where the governor or the mayor, whoever. The, oh, yes. The, the piano the, playing. Yeah. Scene. The piano yes. playing scene. And like the, the beginning of that scene when they're handing out the drinks and the way Rose is just like standing next to George while he's talking oh. to his parents and this like mute she's mute and gone she is just glassy-eyed and like it is it's it was such intense face acting and i was like i didn't know kirsten dunce could go there and honestly like that whole dinner sequence into the playing the piano sequence to the moment she when she tried to play the piano and then like stopped and when she turns around and chokes out i'm sorry I was like, mm-hmm. yes. give her the award. Uh, yes. It was, I was just so wowed. That whole sequence to me was like, the glove scene is amazing. That's like yes. the the Oscar reel moment that they play at the Oscars, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, I mean, yeah, running through a field wearing gloves and falling on your face, you know, in a nightgown. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yes, yes. But this scene it was it was really like watching a silent movie. It was like that kind of acting and mm-hmm. it was just really I I was just so excited because I kind of came into this movie maybe not fairly, maybe a little unjustly not the biggest Kirsten Dunst fan and I don't even know sure. why. Like the mere fact that she's in Drop Dead Gorgeous gives her the the lifetime pass. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. I may love a lot of other people in that movie more in terms of the BSAs of Drop Dead Gorgeous, but, like, you got to give it to her. Like, she, the whole movie revolved around her, and she got the joke, you know? Um, yeah. But I feel like I... I've never seen Melancholia, and I hear that's if you... It's like, if you like The Power of the Dog, then you're going to love... Uh, Kirsten Dunst and Melancholia. So maybe I just need to like not keep thinking of like what she did in the nineties, you know? I, yeah, I, I've not seen Melancholia either too. I, I remember very, when I was like in middle school or high school, my, um, my cousin Janice, who is like four years older than me, she would always, she was like, Oh, Kirsten Dunst. She's so annoying. Mm. And I was like, and like during that time, she was in like Jumanji and she was right. in Little Women. And I was like, I love her. But I get what you're saying. There is something. Is it like, is she the first, like, is it Jennifer Lawrence syndrome and Hathaway syndrome? Like, was she just in everything? And then we just like chucked her out of the circle. Like, is that what happened? I don't know. I think there was like, for me, I I feel like I have, the reality is, I have probably been judging Kirsten Dunst largely uh, on a clip from the trailer for the movie Get Over It from 2001, uh, (laughs) which is not a wildly successful teen movie, Okay, but it was some teen movie. And in the trailer, in the sort of montage of scenes, there's a moment where she says, well, I kissed him too. And it's such a bad line delivery that I just decided that the rest of her career was irrelevant. (laughs) 
because I hated that line delivery so much. And I was never a big Bring It On fan, and so I never had that. I, like, I've never seen it either. I know people are screaming right yeah. now. I've not seen it. So yeah. I, and, 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 like, listen, between you, me, and anybody listening – Please, nobody try to convince me to watch Bring It On. I don't want to watch it. I just don't. I'm going to sign it to you. I'm going to sign it to I, you. I week. will not watch it. I refuse. I, every week, you'll have to give me an F, an incomplete. Um, <laughs> bring it off. Yeah, yeah bring it, it off. off. Yeah, just try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take it off. Um, so I, that I think is my feeling. But as I'm looking through her IMDb, I'm realizing that like, well, she was in The Virgin Suicides, which is a great movie. She was in, let's see. Well, I don't really remember Crazy Slash Beautiful, but that was not long after Get Over no. It. I'm, she I, was in Fargo. Oh, she yes. Well, that's the thing. Then she I'm, was in a season of Fargo, and I heard she was great yeah. in that season. It's far, there's Fargo, and then there's On Becoming a God in Central Florida, where she plays oh, like right. a multi-level marketing uh, guru. And I feel like that's where I need to go back to, is like Fargo and... Uh, on becoming a god in Central Florida, I feel like that's the Kirsten Dunst I need to like revisit. Um, she's in Hidden yeah. Figures, but all I care about in Hidden Figures is the coffee pot scene. Yeah, of course, yeah. Tarashi. That none of Ugh. you want to touch. <laughs> so good. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, um, but so anyway, but to kind of respond to what you're saying about like she kind of fades. What's interesting with this movie is that like if there's five acts to the movie. Jesse Plemons and like she, Jesse Plemons and and Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst are really kind of like that triangle is really like the feature of the first, let's say, three acts, and then it seems like at a certain point, yeah, she, I mean, Jesse Plemons disappears from the movie by the last like half hour. Yeah, it that yeah. was the most jarring to me. I was like, wait, did he, did he touch the anthrax uh, covered hide as well? Yeah, Where right. Where go? is he? Yeah. But, you know, I initially watching this, there was a part of me that as she descended into becoming a drunk, which is what kind of it begins at, during at the end of that that dinner scene when she when she drinks the orange drink. Um, yes. th- that felt a little like I've, we've been here before. We've we've seen this uh, act play out where the you know, where the woman descends into alcoholism. Um, yeah. But I so so I did disengage a little bit like the tension that we were getting from like that dinner scene kind of slipped away once it was just her being sloppy in bed, you know? Yeah. Go on, go on. But I, I think what, where she ends up for me, because eventually the movie becomes squarely about, uh, Phil and, and, uh, Peter is for me, it, it kind of lands in that scene where Phil and Peter go off, on their little ride together and she goes running outside after them and she's like, no, I don't want him to go with him. Like, I don't want that. That like, I kind of loved, she becomes really a supporting narrative to the Peter and Phil story. And the Gaylords mm-hmm. of Darkness talked about this, that eventually where Rose lands is she doesn't want to see her sweet little faggy twink of a son go off with this monster of a man, you know? Yeah, And I loved just that lens when we then, as we move into this like final act, that's all about Phil and Peter, you know? Um, yes. But it does mean she fades from the movie a bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm digesting everything you're saying too. And I, I agree with everything that you're pointing out. I, I, oh, you know what I wish during that like piano scene or even the dinner scene, if someone just liked to touch her shoulder during dinner and for her to like spill her drink. Oh. Everywhere. Like that, that's just like how, on edge she was but I just I guess I would love to like 
maybe she has some interviews out that I like a podcast or two. I would love to know what was going on in Rose's head because clearly she is uncomfortable. Like, mm. I just want to know why, I guess. I For obvious reasons, like she's a fish out of water. And there's that. And again, everything with that piano scene and that I loved, I was eating it up and I, I, I got it. But I just wanted to know more about Rose beside like the nonverbal cues that we're getting, which I also loved. I just wanted her to like say like, I don't belong here. Right. You know, even though that's like, that's like a garbage line. You know what I mean? I didn't want her to say that. I just, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, like wanting it to be maybe said more in what we were seeing. I mean, I or think. like split it. Yeah. yeah. And well, you know, because one of the things I think is kind of interesting in, in terms of the show, not tell of the movie is that like, and I guess it kind of goes back to the title, but it really is this power that Phil has over her and the tension of the movie. And and this is something I did not appreciate until watching the second time is that Rose's first husband developed a drinking problem. And I think there was some element of like, you know, people talk about like, it's like a case of the plains, you know, I think they talked about that in August Osage County that you just, you know, it just gets to you being out there in the middle of nowhere. And we don't really get the reasoning, but you know, her husband develops a drinking problem and then eventually hangs himself and that was like five years ago. And so, yeah. you know, there's a quick voice over at the beginning of the movie where of Peter saying that he needed to save her. And so we kind of are seeing her uh. navigate a similar path. And he's watching his mother go down the same path. And it's like, I have to, like, I, I need her and I'm losing her. And what's so interesting is that she thinks that she's losing Peter to Phil and really, and we even think that I thought Peter was going to, and either Peter or Rose was going to be dead by the end of this movie. I thought yeah. Rose is going to kill herself. Peter's going to get killed somehow. Like something bad's going to happen. Yeah, that rope. Yeah, I thought I thought he was just going to like beat him over a head, his head with a log and hang him in like yeah. the forest somewhere. The forest. Something was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then to realize like, oh, no, Peter is the one not to be trusted. And granted, we're given hints. We, we've seen him, you know, butcher a rabbit um you know he he clearly i you know i snaps a neck and like without flinching yeah snaps the neck there's there's a real clinical way that he handles things that that suggests that peter is kind of a psychopath and instead of by the end instead of phil being the risk it's peter and i just like oh i just think that's so it's so nasty but um but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I spun into a whole tangent away from what you were saying. But no, I want, I think that's a perfect segue into Peter. But to kind of, I guess, wrap up Kirsten, I think that helps. That helps in like pointing out that I knew her husband died, but I guess she's still like kind of grieving from it in a way is what you're saying. Like, I, I don't know how did they say like a timeline of how long ago that happened? I think he had died like four or five years ago. So I and I assume okay. they had been I out mean, there. You, yeah. Um, you really never get over that in a way, too. But like, I think. Yeah, and she's just maybe like yes, and she's just alone out there, you know, working at like yeah the 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 diner on the you know on the prairie, Um, and yeah, like and there is that idea that and there's this is all based on a book, and so there is a part of me that's like oh, this wouldn't be my usual kind of book, but like this kind of story, I'd love to get all of the extra meat that comes with reading. Yes, is like I could see it being like. I imagine she worked in a movie house in a in a busier town or city somewhere else and and lived a more and urban was happy. Yeah, yeah, and lived a more urban life and now here she is 
like abandoned by her husband's death. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. I don't know if that's the story, but that's a possibility of why she's so just like lost. But I think part of it's also like this kind of surreal like power that, that, that Phil has over Rose that it's like, it says it, he's almost like psychically killing her in some way, you know? Oh yeah. I just like the fact that he, you know, she plays that piano tune like 18 times in a row and he can play it like in a second on his banjo. Right. Just, just saying you don't belong here. And he outwardly says that too. He's like, you know, she's just using you or you're using him for his money or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, that's probably some of it. I mean, what other options does she have? Well, I, I, I don't really know. That's, I mean, I guess that kind of explains why Peter eventually goes to school and all of that is that George is paying for it. And so, yes. uh, which I'm only putting together now as we're talking about it, that like Rose and Peter, Peter was this, this weird, really intelligent, really fucked up kid who was like literally cataloging, literally cat. I and mean, that was also a fascinating part. Is like Peter yes. is the, is a classic queer character. He has an actual catalog of things that he's pictures and drawings and whatnot. But like that kid was never gonna go anywhere but the planes until George came into their lives. And so, yeah. but I mean, I think that goes back to kind of you know your opening line of like you know for George, it's uh, he is he also doesn't really belong out there. You know, yeah. Um, he's a little too sensitive for it all, and so I think, I mean, that moment where he's like, "It's just so nice to not be alone," and he starts to cry is so powerful because it's like, mm -hmm. it's so real. And I think that's, I think that's what Rose and George have in common is that they're both alone out there and they're both very sensitive. And but what he has is he can provide a life for them. Yeah, they're still like alone at the end of the day, though. You know, like mm -hmm. even though they're married, because I just I feel like. I don't know. Their marriage is so interesting because it's like, I just feel like they, especially when they're out there, like in the planes and he starts crying too. It's like, I, I think he, obviously he's happy to, to have found someone. And I guess she is too, but like, is she, <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, she's making the choice to marry him for her son and for herself at the end of the day too. But like, I, I think she's still trying to figure herself out. Yeah, it's. I think this is like, yeah, a reason I would read the book is because I just want to more yes, understand I Rose. Know more about Rose, and of course, I want more, any more explanation of like Phil's life about that time that he and you know Bronco Henry slept naked, body to body, in a bedroll. I want to know about all yes. those things. Tell me that story yeah. again. But, uh, but I think that does, as you said, I think that does bring us to Peter, played by Cody mm -hmm. Smith McPhee. Golden Globe nominee. Yes. Golden Globe nominee. Yeah, he was in. I know he was in The Road, which I I read, but I did not see that. Oh, uh, uh, I didn't see it. Reading yeah. it was enough, but uh, he's a he's an interesting uh, an interesting kind of BSA best supporting actor energy. You know, um, yes. best supporting twink. Yeah, I feel like maybe if this movie was made. 15 years ago like Paul Dano would be in this role oh my god totally you know what absolutely. I mean absolutely a Paul Dano type so skinny I feel like my grandma saying that he's so skinny, he's so skinny but skinny. he was so skinny yeah I couldn't believe it I you know I it, it you know at the beginning and like through much of the movie we're really seeing him you know in those in those white you know shoes he looks like peewee and peewee's big adventure with those those yes, white shoes such a dandy yeah the yeah. Da yeah miss nancy you know and he's he's you know playing with a dog and and making paper flowers but there's an evolution with him i love that 
as I expect Peter to start to really shrink, he starts to grow and start and like the moment that stood out to me was when they're all out, you know, you know, someone's making chili, they're, you know, cleaning laundry. There's all the guys are out and I think they're, they're doing an outdoor lunch for them. And Phil stops Peter to talk to him and says, Oh, you know, I feel like we got off on the wrong foot. And he starts telling him about the rope that he's making. And he says, you know, I'm going to have this done for you before the time you get back to school. And Peter just looks at him and goes, well, then you don't have much time then, do you, Phil? Or something like that. Very casual, very powerful. And it's the first time he calls him Phil. And it was like, oh, this is what they mean when they say power bottom. You know what I mean? Yes. This is what they mean. Peter is the power bottom of this relationship. (laughs) The power of the bottom. The power of the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) My God. It's so true. And I think, continue that thought, though, because I, I love that. Yeah, I, and so I, and I think that's what we end up seeing in the rest of the movie is, like, Peter's power over Phil, it's, in a way, it's a seduction, you know? And yep. there is kind of a, like, somehow, I mean, Peter figures out that Phil is gay because he finds the you know, the yes. the 1920s version of a gay nudie bag, the physique yeah, magazines. The yeah. And I, and I didn't know, notice this until, uh, I think Stacy mentioned it on the Gaylords of Darkness. And then I saw it on the second time I watched it, but those were Bronco Henry's magazine. Yes. That's when I first found out. I was like, okay, that's like one nugget that I did see. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. That was like, oh my God. And so it's like, he finds that stash and like my heart was pounding the entire scene. I was like, oh my God, the stakes are so high. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my biggest question was after, you know, um, Phil's like taking a little a swim in the stream there and he mm-hmm. sees that Peter's watching him and he chases him. I was like, this is where he dies. He's dead now. Right. But right. we never find out what happens there. I don't, I guess he outruns him. Yeah. I think he just chases him off. And I also thought like, well, what's going to happen when you catch him? You're buck naked. Yeah, you know, I know. Uh, and it's yeah and so there is that sense of like peter figures out phil's secret and then it's like then he has the power and what's interesting is like the way in which and this to me just makes as a gay man makes so much sense is like it's like something switches on for phil as well it's like something he doesn't even know he's responding to is switching on and he's I don't know. I don't know if it's just because suddenly like Peter is exerting a little more power with him, but I mm-hmm. think yeah, Phil finds himself kind of seduced by him. Like I'm I'm intrigued by what causes him to want to what to take an interest in Peter, you know? Yes. Um, I have a theory. Oh, I have please. a theory. Mm-hmm. And but it's it's the I'm giving you the assist because I didn't really cuz that was something that I struggled with too. I was like what is making him just like suddenly invite him over in front of all the guys yeah. and and just like chat him up? And honestly, I think it is the fact that, I mean, one of my favorite Peter moments in the entire movie is when he struts down the center of all those men and he just looks, I don't know what he looks at. Does he look like at a, at a bird's nest yeah, or something Yeah, there's like some there? birds in a nest, yeah. Ugh, I wanted to like undersc- underscore that to like, cover girl, put the bass right, in your right, way. Like, totally. But to I see think, that walk. I think, yeah. Yes, but I, in a way, especially after the fact that, um, this is after the fact that Phil, I'm like trying to remember everyone's name, that Peter found Phil's like magazines, that he knows that he has the power and he also knows that like, 
if for some reason one of the guys like roughed him up or like that I think Phil would stop it and I think he knows that so when he takes that long strut down in a way it's like it's also in some odd way flirtatious but also like I don't give a shit about these guys I'm gonna walk down confidently look at this bird's nest and walk back and I think maybe seeing that power like uh peter having that power is what phil was like okay i i I see something here and that's like that's the only thing that i can really like put together as why as to why phil would like invite him over what do you think that's what i think i think there because to me it's like all of this comes down to strength and power and masculinity and dominance and you know, I think he at one point he quotes Bronco Henry of like a man is made up of his um, basically like, you know, a man is made from his experiences and, and you know, the, the oh, yes. strength. And, whatnot. and I feel like there's some element of that, too, of like, oh, this is not, you know, uh, this is not the kid who's, you know, uh, tiptoeing through the tulips around the ranch here. Like this kid is walking like he owns the place. And. Yeah, I think that must be, and so that's what appeals to Phil, and it, it's it's fascinating because that isn't such like an outdated idea. There's a lot of gay men where it's like the moment they see, oh, you're you have a masculine energy, or conversely, oh, I see something feminine about you, that denotes the turn on turn off versus like, oh, are you gay? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, but are you masculine? You know? Yeah, and I also think that like Phil has built up this persona and like of this sort of like don't fuck with me whatever I say goes goes that like none of the guys it's like I'm sure they probably talked about it behind the scenes but they know better to talk about it in front of Phil Mm -hmm. like it's like he's it's like the coolest kid at the lunch table invited them to sit with invited Peter to sit with them and everyone shut up about it you know like because he's that's just who Phil is yeah the tide shifts he decides what you know uh, whether someone's in or he's the Regina George of this ranch, I think is what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, to really make this a gay movie, you know, and it's yes. you know, and and it really like that final kind of act of the movie. I think where you know it really, it, obviously, there's that great scene where Rose gives away the hides to the Native Americans and gets the yes. gloves and and has her moment, and I and had you had you kind of figured out like at what point did you figure out like what Peter had done? Was it not until you saw the rope at the end or did it read to you that like Peter had given him anthrax, uh, you know, poisoned hides yeah. to make the rest of the rope? Like when did I you realize like, that? Yeah, never. I, <laughs> I realized it when I listened to Gaylords of Darkness and Stacy and I like found out together as, as <laughs> really? is it Anthony? Anthony? Anthony, yeah. Yes. I had no idea. I, I, I just thought he died of some infection. And when he said anthrax or you know when the doctor sort of like was was talking to george and rose about it and like the thrashing about and you know it's weird but i feel like it might be anthrax i was like that's weird and then i just shut it off i was like (laughs) i did but i was i was trying to answer so many other questions that that was like at the bottom of my list so when i was listening to gaylords of darkness and stacy was like holy shit you're right i was like he did he he because the pacing, I, I didn't even see that pacing, his deliberation of whether or not to give him the anthrax-ridden sort of the hide. Hide? Is the, that the yeah, the hides, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, like, the fact, you know, when he's wearing the gloves, like, you, you know, you you see him, even at the yes. end, handling the rope with the gloves. 
Oh, yeah. And there's even, I mean, you could go there that if we're going to call this a gay movie, there is a sort of, you know, wearing a condom, safe sex, unprotected sure, kind of yes. riding bareback. You know, there, and I mean, I don't, I think that has nothing to do with this movie, but there is something interesting about, as a gay man, I can't help but see the overlap of like, HIV infection rates among down low men who don't use condoms. You know what I mean? Like, sure. There is yes, some absolutely. element there of like, well, what if there was an illusion to that? Why not power of the dog? Um, yes. Yeah. I uh, mention it all. Mention it all. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I think I realized it once I saw him holding the rope and then I remembered him finding the cow carcass when he went on that ride alone yes. and yes. it all kind of came. And I think it was like, he saw the opportunity, you know, it was like, Oh, I, I think at some point, no, I think this was always planned and his mother just helped accelerate it by selling off the other hides. He was always planning on providing this rope, this, th these infected hides to, for the rope. Like that plan was in place. I think before his mother even did this. And so, yeah. Um, and and then it for him to be like, I you know I saved the highs because I wanted to be just like you you know and he was really kind of basically following the same footsteps of Phil with Bronco Henry, which raises the question that if Phil and Peter were to continue this dance, and equally during Phil and Bronco Henry's time together, do you think? A, do you think things would have ever gotten more physical between Peter and Phil? And B, do you think things did get more physical between Bronco and Phil? Ooh. I feel like I, one of the... I think one of the most genius parts of this movie is that you never see any physical action between Phil and Peter. Because it could have happened that night. It could have happened... This, like when, he, when Phil like grabs Peter's neck, it's like he oh. is inches away from kissing him it looks like he starts to because when when peter tells him i have the rawhide for you you know I have the hide for you because i want yes. to be like you and it looks like phil's first instinct is to grab his head and kiss him and he yes. stops himself and it's it's the tension of that not happening and i i wonder if peter would have gone through with it if phil got physical with him and if there's a part of me that would it still thinks of like the power bottom of like, Oh yeah. Like you have no idea, but go ahead and get me off. You know what I mean? Like there's, yes. there's something of like, we see the way that Peter is using his power and a variation of his sexuality. And it just makes me think about like how much further would Peter take it? You know? Yeah. I feel like even if like, if, if Phil never died from the rawhide, like I am sure that, Peter would find another way to end him, whether yeah. that's like slowly driving him crazy. Because I, I just think Peter's smarter than Phil. And like from yep. the very beginning, he is he, especially with this like <laughs> long con of Seriously. the hide. I was like, if you can think of that, you can think of much worse like to do to this man, and to but to also or or to even like emotionally abuse him. You know, mm -hmm. and to think like and, and really kind of sort of lead him on and then back away from it or whatever it is. But um, you, your second question was, was there do you think there was any intimacy with Bronco Henry and Phil? Is that yeah. What you were yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's like fan fiction, right? The I know. It's like, I, yeah, right? I feel like there would have to be – I don't know if it was frequent, but I feel like there had to have been – well, I mean, we know from the story of that fateful night where they slept together. And I love how Peter says, were you naked? Yeah. Like, the way he asks him that. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, my God, tell me more. I just wanted like – I want to be free and talk about gay stuff. It's like he's just kind of probing for more information. What can I get from you – to like really bring you down. Right. In a right. Way. Yeah. There was a way in which it became kind of like George and Martha of like, you know, George forcing and in who's afraid of Virginia Wolf of like George forcing Martha to tell the story of their son. It's like, yes. And, and where was he? And it was just kind of coaxing him along. Like he, he has the power. It, and, and what's interesting is hearing Phil talk about that. And Phil says, yeah, I fell right to sleep. Like I was imagining what it must've been like for a young Phil with his, you know, idol, mentor, you know, potential lover and like just kind of melting into like, oh, and I got to sleep wrapped up in his arms, you know, and like, uh, like, and, and that, I think there's something kind of beautiful about that. But like, yeah, there is a part of me that thinks that it's like, well, you know, some lonely days out on the ranch, you know, uh, nobody needs to know what happened in the tent. I don't think it was Brokeback Mountain. As much as I love Brokeback Mountain, like as a gay man, I'm just not buying. I'm not buying a, a palmful of spit for the first time. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, it is interesting, and I guess I'm I'm also just being a pig of like, ugh, how much dirtier does it get on this on this plane? You know? Yes, but I'm glad we don't see it. I'm glad that none of that is shown. I think it just like leaves more like clearly we're having that conversation now because of it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the sex scene in this movie is the cigarette is when Peter rolls the cigarette for Phil and holds it to his lips. That might as well be oral sex at this point in the movie. And that's what I think is actually interesting. And to your point of not seeing it, any any contact, any intimacy, any held you know, eye contact feels really intense and feels really sexually charged. Um, and I love that Peter is holding it. Yes. Peter is in control of like how much he gives him. Yeah. Yeah. And it really just, I, I think that then becomes the full uh, visual metaphor of the power bottom in the situation, you know, uh, oh, yeah. he is so in control. Um, and yet it is Phil who's enjoying the cigarette, you know? Yeah, I have I have a tangent question Please. too, but it's, it kind of you know like um, what what's the relationship between Phil and George? I I feel like oh. Gay Lords of Darkness like sort of touched upon it, but like I for me, I mean it it makes it a little bit more sort of forbidden, I guess, because they are brothers. But I think there is like an attachment there. It's like almost when you're gay, not not you're gay, but um. Well, when you are gay and you have like a really close female friend and they get married, there's right. like a part of you that that is that's it feels like your arm is severed off, especially if it's like this codependent relationship. Like, you know, I, I think of that like amazing fight in Will and Grace when they they talk about adopting the kid or whatever. And then um, it's but sometimes that happens. And like because really it's like he resents Kirsten Dunst for not only marrying his brother, but also taking his brother away from him and like. And they sleep together in the same bed. I'm, I'm very in that huge house. In yeah. yeah. That stood out to me was like they, because it was it, in one scene in the beginning, they sleep in twin beds in the same room. Yes. And then in a later scene, they're in the same bed together. And it, that I just like, 
it'd be one thing if they lived in a little log cabin and they needed to, but they are in, they could have wings to themselves, you know? And I, I, I don't know. I mean, on Gaylords of Darkness, they, yeah, they kind of suggested there may have been some sort of uh, more physical relationship between them. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think to be honest, the only way I could really see that is if it were maybe a little bit of an abusive relationship where I would see like, Phil using George in some situations. Um, And it's, I mean, it it adds just a whole other layer to this that like is, I I think makes Phil more fascinating. I mean, not necessarily always in a positive way. Like the idea that he's like abusing his, you know, simpler, more sensitive brother. The suggestion of that is pretty dark, but I think it just adds to like the overall narrative of like the, the oppression the the repression within phil and i'm so excited by that because i had no idea that this movie was going to be so much about being a repressed gay man and and yet it's represented in someone who is like it beyond being a toxic gay man or toxic he's just like a a toxic energy in the movie yes. and it's um yeah. who represents really toxic toxic masculinity you know uh so all that to say that, like, I don't know what transpired between Phil and George, but I would say that, like, there has been some kind of power imbalance there yeah, throughout their, their lives, and I would be surprised if Phil did not abuse it. Yeah, it's kind of our first glimpse into the direction of where the movie's going, but it's so subtle that, like, I, of course, missed it. But I did feel that it was weird later on when they slept together. I don't think there's anything physical that happened. I just think that Phil, because I guess, like, Jesse Plemons as George, there's so much of him that just seems so tired of Phil and just wants to be free of Phil. Yeah. And then he finally gets it. And I think, like, in even that, because... Even him crying out on <clears throat> like the planes with Kirsten Dunst too. I think a lot of that is that he's finally rid of Phil because he's been with Phil. He's not been a quote unquote, like quote unquote alone. He's had his brother with him the entire time. But like that, their dynamic is not healthy at all. I just feel like it's a lot of like just sleep in the bed with me. I just feel like Phil would say that like God damn it, just lay down. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, just one of those things. And he's like, okay. Because George knows in some way, I feel, what's going on. Do you feel that? Or do you think he's, like, oblivious? That he... Oh, like, that George has some awareness of what's, what the real deal is with Phil? Like, do, yeah. like does, does George... Like, well, I mean, I think there, I think you have a point. Because I think the resistance or the kind of the, the lesser enthusiasm the yeah. that George has about about Henry. I keep calling him Bronco Henry and I keep wanting to call him Bravo, you know, Harold or whatever. But uh, the, the lack of enthusiasm he has for Henry um, or Bronco versus uh, Phil, it's like yes. a resistance of like, oh yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, he taught us a lot. And it, it makes you wonder, I mean, it then goes that place of like, well, what did, you know, what did George see or hear or was there a time where Bronco tried to show George his magazines? You know what I mean? Like, yes, when did that yes. start? Because that, you know, and, and it's not, I I think it's a thing of you don't want to equate, like, someone who's, like, you know, uh, abusing children or a pedophile or whatever with being gay. Because, like, that's not, sure. I'm not trying to make that equation. But there is, what I do think is fascinating is that this guy, 
Bronco Henry, who's meant to be the, the legend of the plains of Montana, is actually this, like, grooming monster. Like, yeah. I love, like, realizing that everything you think you know about these people is wrong. Phil is not who he appears to be. Uh, you know, maybe even George is not who he appears to be. Peter's definitely not who he, you know, yeah. comes off as. Um, and, you know, Rose, I think, is actually a very pure energy. And maybe that's... You know, and I think that's on purpose that like we need that. We yeah. Need that. yeah. Um, but I love that, that like the reality for all of these men that we might want to put into like very simple boxes is actually so much more complicated and so much more fucked up. And like, yeah, when it comes to the world of Westerns and like cowboys and men on the plains, I never imagine them as complex people. You know? Yes. So yeah, they this, just do yeah, their job. Yeah, yeah. They're John Wayne, you know, and a man a few words. And I love the idea here of like, oh, these guys are they've got more baggage than, you know, they know what to do with. And that's like that's really fascinating. So whether or not all that's true, I love that there's space for that, you know? Yes. I I think we have to we have to talk about Jane Campion because I, I I can't believe we haven't mentioned her name earlier than this too because she's she's the reason for this movie. I think she deserves like every award for this movie. She wrote it and directed it, right? She let's no see. adapted. She adapted, adapted yeah, right? yeah, because yeah, so yes, it's based on the okay. book and she adapted it um, and directed it. And yes, she is. I mean, uh, I feel like I mean I know her name. Obviously, I know she directed the piano and. Um, Let's see. What else has she got? There's. I know that on. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, on the Gaylords of Darkness, they mentioned Bright Star, which is a movie I've seen the poster of, but I, I don't know what that's about. And I think Anthony said, like, he can't watch that movie like for five minutes without crying. And I was like, that that's enough for me. I'm ready for more Jane Campion, I guess, is what I'm saying, because if this is any indication, I haven't seen the piano. I know. I know. I know. To, that one might to, be interesting need, because that'll be on my list of like movies that I need to watch. Yeah. Cause that obviously has a, you know, a best supporting actress at Anna Paquin. Yes. So, um, and there's a show, the top of the lake that, you know, might yes. be interesting. And so she's directed, Oh, well, what we could do is there is, uh, infamously there's in the cut, the movie that basically ended Meg Ryan's career. Oh, <gasps> Whoa, I don't know anything about that. Okay, so it is from 2003, and it is a thriller. Here is the description, courtesy of IMDb. Okay. New York City writing professor Franny Avery has an affair with a police detective who is investigating the murder of a beautiful young woman in her neighborhood. Uh, screenplay was written by Jane Campion and Susanna Moore. I know Susanna Moore's name, but uh, she's somebody. And then directed by okay. Jane Campion and starring Meg Ryan... Mark Ruffalo and one of my least favorite actresses, and I'm sure she's terrible, Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> it's okay. true. She's just the worst. Um, but uh, that could be a fun one to watch sometime. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's what I know about Jane Campion. So, uh, you know, uh, not, not bad lady, not bad work. Yeah. I feel like we can add her. I feel like we had an idea for like a t-shirt of the four Janes. We were trying to think of another Jane. Oh. Uh, Maybe she's our fourth Jane. So would we have like uh, Jane Campion, Jane Howdy Shell. Uh, Jane uh, from uh, 
uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, Jane Alexander. Uh huh. Jane Alexander. And I can't remember the other one now. Oh, Jane. Just Jane. Jane. I think it was Jane from the comeback. Jane yeah, from the comeback. Jane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Three okay. real women and one fictional woman. We make the rules on our t shirts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, I mean, do you have any other, any other things about the, the power of the dog you want to, um, you want to fetch from your notes? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> nice. I would say I, speaking as someone who did not fully understand what I was watching and like the best way possible, like, and, and I like watch the movie, especially I think. I think it like it serves anyone well to like watch it. Like we were saying, pause this podcast or go listen to Gaylords of Darkness or listen to us both. Um, yeah, listen to us both. Yeah. The more I find out about like the subtlety of this movie and, you know, like, oh, my God, he did that on purpose. And, and the slow burn. I'm loving this movie more and more. I didn't initially love it. I liked it. But now I have a, a totally different mindset. Yeah, I I think I fully recommend a second watch. I think going yeah. and knowing all these details, I appreciated this so much more, and you know we'll be happy to see its name you know pop up during award season. And you know, again, I, at this point, I've really accepted that you know Anne Dowd may not make it finally to the Oscar shortlist. <sighs> it's okay. It's fine. You know, you got to have a few horses in the race. I am more than excited to see Kirsten Dunst get a nomination. I think if anything, first nomination, I was gonna say, if anything, really, this is someone who's been working for years and it's almost like, okay, it's time to recognize Kirsten, you know? Yeah. I think it's a really good narrative for her. It's like someone that we all sort of love and like forgot that we loved, I guess. I mean, in there are the diehards, you know, I know Matt Rogers from Las Culturistas loves her and I've never really stopped loving her besides that sort of like weird, you know, sort of Jennifer Lawrence effect that we were talking about earlier. I, uh, but I, I, I'm happy for her. Well, I just have to warn you, do not watch the trailer for 2001's Get Over It because it will ruin Kirsten <gasps> Dunst for you completely. You'll, oh. You'll just be so mad. <laughs> I'm going to watch it right after yeah. this. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And then you'll be like, ugh, give her a Razzie. Um, well, then I think it's time to get on our, get on our little ponies and head back to civilization because even out here on the plains of Montana, we're being played off. Um, but, uh, before we do, uh, tiptoe off behind the $5 Patreon paywall to talk about the best supporting after show, where can folks find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast. And they can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Nick Kachanov. How about you? Well, you can, of course, find more of me on my other two podcasts, All Right, Mary. Uh, We'll be covering season 14 of Drag Race starting like next week. Uh, As well as in the details, I have one more episode that will be coming out before the year is over. And so whenever this episode is out, Ideally, there's another episode of I in the details out as well. So look for that, nice. please. And if you want to find me on Instagram, it's Colin Drucker underscore. And on Twitter, it's Colin Drucker. And if you want to get more of us both in a best supporting capacity, you can reach out to us on Twitter at BSA pod. Or you can send us an email at the BSA pod at gmail.com. 
And uh, as you may have heard me bef uh, before mention while you were peeling your peepers, indeed, the Best Supporting After Show now exists on Patreon at patreon.com slash bsapod. This week, we will be finally continuing our discussion of the second half of season two of Pen15, as yes. well as catching up on... Uh, our best supporting assignments, our BSAs of the week, and who knows what else. The only way to find out is to become a BSA Patreon or listen to the best supporting after show if you are a Patreon. And if you are, yeah. well, we love you for that. Yeah, join the party. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know what we're going to be talking about next week, but I imagine it will have a BSA in it. So, you know, it'll and it'll be the first episode of 2022. So I know. Looking forward to kicking off the year with something fun. Yes. And that, as they say, is that. <laughs>